Kiefer's a guy who's doing his part to talk about why he thinks that games are art and gush over things that are near to our hearts. So let's select a game and press start. Hello and welcome to Select and Start, the podcast about meaningful and memorable video games. I'm your host, Kiefer, and I have a wonderful guest with me today. He is the co-host of the legal podcast 5 to 4, as well as the A-Lab series. He's history's most successful legal podcaster himself. It's Michael. Michael, how are you doing? <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for the introduction. Uh, yeah, it's, a, it's great to be here. I'm very excited. I'm excited to have you here. For people who don't have the pleasure of knowing you, I do want to give, uh, I want to give you the chance to introduce yourself to our listeners. What do you do and what do you like? I, these days, I am a professional podcaster that is what I do. Uh, I used to be a lawyer. I did a few different things in the law. The bulk of my career was spent at a big firm doing, you know, servicing all the needs of our financial service providing clients. Uh, but yeah, now I host a legal podcast uh, where we discuss the Supreme Court, how much it sucks, how much uh, the right wing of this country have taken over the courts and are using it to pursue ideological ends. And uh, we try to be uh, funny and and keep it a little bit light because it's a pretty heavy topic and uh, that's the run of it. And what do I enjoy? Uh, <laughs> that is... Uh, that, doesn't feel like I enjoy much these days. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> yeah. um, uh, you know, I do like uh, basketball. I like playing basketball. I like watching basketball and um, like spending time with my dogs. And I like playing video games. It is a video games are a way for me to relax and unwind and sometimes turn my brain off and sometimes let my brain run wild, you know, and uh, I do a lot of thinking and uh planning while playing video games oh yeah no i listen to a lot of podcasts while i do video games so it's like kind of a double-edged sword sometimes i'm playing like a kind of game that i'm familiar with already or just has a massive open world that doesn't have like very like all-encompassing music that i can immerse myself in and that's when it's a good time to go and listen to my things or just ruminate on something right great opportunity to do that before we talk about video games, though, I do sort of want to rewind to your point about being a former lawyer of sorts. You're not right. the first uh, former lawyer we've had on the podcast, <laughs> or even the first, like first lawyer turned podcaster. Would you say that being a lawyer sucks? Yes, I would. <laughs> I, if you are considering law school, I would uh, encourage you to think uh, long and hard about it. It's a challenging, challenging industry. It takes a physical toll on you. It takes an emotional toll on you. There's no good legal jobs other than maybe being a law professor or a law podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> Would you say that it's a good, t- you should study law and become a lawyer so you can become a good podcaster? I would not recommend that. <laughs> That's not a career path I would I would recommend, no. All right, good. I mean, you're a great podcaster, so I think that like there's, there's a precedent for it, but if, if you think there's other avenues to pursuing podcasting, I'll take your advice. Yeah, I won't go to law school. Yeah, if podcasting is your passion, I think avoid <laughs> the mountains of debt and uh, emotional scarring that come with going to law school. Uh, All right. Yeah. Note it. All right. Now, have you ever considered getting disbarred for fun? I have not. <laughs> I have not. Um, I uh, I am no longer in good standing, though. I think just because I I was very burnt out and lazy at the end in New York, and just like stopped paying my dues. 
right? So I never like formally put a pause or, or anything on my on my bar admission. But so I think I'm just a lawyer in bad standing now um, in New York. Dark lawyer. Yes, dark lawyer. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Um, I would say there are things that would be worth doing. Uh, even if you would get this barred, I worked at a law firm, um, the big firm I worked at Sullivan and Cromwell, uh, that right after I left, they apparently were like, uh, approached by the Trump campaign. This is back in 2017. Mm-hmm. They ended up turning him down, but I was like, man, if I was still there, I just, I fucking steal some Trump documents <laughs> and, and leak them. And that's worth being disbarred. You know, there's some things that are like, you just, just do it and be legend. Right. That's yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Worth the political assassination. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, thank you for uh, you know entertaining my couple of law-related questions. But now it's all video games now. All video games moving forward. Full awesome. steam ahead. Uh, and no community likes to gatekeep more than the gamers. I'm sure right. even, even lawyers <laughs> would, would agree. <laughs> so we got to check your gaming credentials here. Uh, what got you into gaming? What's your history with games like? What's your relationship mm-hmm. with them now? What's Michael's portrait of a gamer? Well, uh, you know, I'm 41 and I started gaming when I was a wee lad. Um, My first system was an Atari. Mm. And the first game I can remember playing was Asteroid, right? Uh, Just blowing up little polygons. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, uh, the first game I remember falling in love with was uh, the first Zelda for the Nintendo Entertainment System. And I have been playing games, you know, pretty much all my life. I had an NES, an SNES, uh, N64, a GameCube in college, and played also got, played a lot of Halo with my friends in college. And uh, there was a sort of down period after school when I wasn't getting new games, but uh, there's a period around 2010 when I was playing a lot of Call of Duty Mm-hmm. Uh, with a buddy and uh, who I was like a roommate who had an Xbox. And then, I don't know, I think the Switch is what got me back into gaming and uh, Breath of the Wild. And then I got a PS4 and uh, yeah, I, I've been playing a lot of stuff in the last seven years or so, I'd say. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, a lot of people uh, have who have about like the same uh, acumen as you in terms of uh gaming uh expertise yeah. they always say that they have like a sort of dip either right after college or around college for a few years for you yeah. personally what do you think just gave you what pushed you away from that was it just like a time commitment yeah you know it was like i think it i was just trying to learn how to be an adult um and i was uh didn't know how to balance my time right out of school and um you know, it was my first time ever really having a 9 to 5 it just, yeah, it just felt like I didn't know how to carve out personal time. Uh, and when I did, you know, I didn't always want to just play video games. Um, and so uh, it kind of fell by the wayside. But then as I got a little older and wasn't necessarily bottom rung at work, you know, anymore, or had a little more free time and just understood how to balance my time better and had the budget to afford a ps4 or a ps5 whatever uh switch um i was like yeah play some fucking video games <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, 
Yeah. So you said you've played the, uh, you know, video games from basically the beginning. Uh, yes. You said Asteroids, Blasting Away at Polygons, going into yeah. the Atari, going into the NES, etc. From your experience as a gamer, what do you feel like was the biggest advancement in gaming to you? I would say the, for me, it felt like there was a period when I was young when playing games meant just sitting around and watching each other and taking turns. And that's still the case with a lot of games, but it was when games started to become more social, you know, when you could, uh, I think the first one that I can remember would be like uh, Mario Kart or, you know, where you could play battle mode and you were like directly trying to, you know, kill each other or golden eye and doing the little shoot 'em up uh, things against your friends. That was like sort of changed it into a far more social um, experience and uh, really sort of opened up the possibilities of playing video games with friends. No, that's a great answer. And something that I took for granted because when I was, I was born in 96, so the first console I ever um, had experience with was a Nintendo 64. I didn't realize how tremendous it was to have a console where you could have four people playing a video game at oh, once. And yeah, yeah. The, the four controllers and game set up so that you could play four at a time. That was just like, it was so different from like, you know, like you play two player Mario and it's like one guy's Mario and one guy's Luigi. And you just play the same boards and shit. you know, it's like very mm-hmm. just like, it was, it wasn't designed for sharing so much um, early on uh, or it was limited by the technology. So that was that was definitely like a sea change uh, for me, at least. No, I, I understand. And I, you know, really appreciate those experiences. Even when I went to college, I was like the guy with a PlayStation 4. So we did take turn playing a lot because I, didn't, I couldn't afford a second controller. <laughs> so there was a lot of like even games that were multiplayer in a theory, like we played a lot of Overwatch back then. We would just take yeah. turns playing multiplayer <laughs> Overwatch. That's, that's brutal. It's actually some of my most treasured memories just because like I, 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 I like that we could just hang out and do something and yeah, have an excuse sure. uh, to not move. And sort of going off that biggest advancement in technology question, you seem to spend the time with functionally every console that ever came out or like was around <laughs> for them. What do you think your favorite console overall was? The console I get most nostalgic for is the N64. Uh, there are just like a lot of games that I, re- that I remember playing a lot on that. You know, the, the second F-Zero game, uh, Super Mar- uh, or Mario Kart, rather, Super Mario Kart, um, GoldenEye. I also, uh, even though I never owned it, the I don't even know what it was, which Xbox it was, but w- we played Halo in college and, and we, <laughs> you know, my, my friends, we like networked two Xboxes. So there'd be like four people in one room mm-hmm. on a team playing four people in another room and like yelling at each other, like down the hall. And, and uh, that was like, those memories are, are pretty special. And mm-hmm. these days, I love the Switch. I mean, I, I I just find it so like I take it with me when I travel. It's I much prefer it to uh, reading some shitty book on a plane or <laughs> uh, a magazine or staring at my phone. You know, it's it's really nice. No, the form factor is great. I remember being on a flight, which doesn't happen often, and I was like, oh, I get to use my. The, the mobile part of my switch in like a public setting. I can't wait to do this. And I got motion sick shit. <laughs> I was like, so stoked to play breath of the wild on, on a plane, like a goddamn yeah. adult. And it's like, no, I'm an adult now. And I, I can't play video games for longer than 30 minutes when things are moving around. Shit. got to read a book. <laughs> my body is just not up to this anymore. Yeah, no. So that, that's something I learned about myself through video games. 
What have you been playing lately? So I have been revisiting a couple classics or modern classics. Um, I'm very excited about Hades 2 coming out, and I'm yeah. very excited about uh, Breath of the Wild 2 coming out this year. And so I've been replaying uh, Hades and Breath of the Wild both, which has been a lot of fun. Uh, Breath of the Wild is a fun game where, like we were saying, where you can like kind of think, you know, like I'll, I'll do research for the podcast, I'll do some prep, and then I'll go sit on it and just, you know, fuck around in this huge world. And, uh, let my brain work on, you know, and really process and digest what I read while I'm like doing shrines or running around and, you know, uh, unlocking towers and stuff. And then Hades is a fun way to just like, it's a little more uh, weird to say, but a little meditative almost in that yeah. it's like so consuming. Like you're, all you're thinking about is like the room with the boon or whatever, what, to, what to choose, but it, it just sort of like, captures your attention uh requires such focus that it's a good way to just like turn my brain off when, uh, when i'm like just burnt out on thinking about the law and politics and, and stuff that bums me out no yeah that was a height of the pandemic game for me when i came yes. out originally on the switch <laughs> yes. and being able to just sit there after eight hours of remote work and yeah. lose my mind and never get bored of it, which was probably yeah. the hardest part of it because of how we just talked about this in the last episode I did. It was just wonderful to have a game that has so much variety to it, but is so familiar that right. you, you just get sucked into it. Yeah. I just like, now I'm like trying to push to higher heats and stuff. I got, mm -hmm. I got 32 heat on every weapon aspect. I feel very good about that, but it's, uh, <laughs> it's, um, it definitely like, if you get a little bored, you just, switch to a different weapon or you try a new challenge, you try a new pact of punishment or whatever. And it, it freshens the game up immediately. It's, it's really nice. Yeah. It was an instant favorite. And it is one of those, like if I could only take one or two games with me to play forever, that would, that would definitely be one of them. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Not to disparage the game that we will be talking about. Shortly <laughs> no. Or anything like that. No. no, but breath of the wild. Another thing that we did an episode on incredible game, infinitely replayable, like, the stuff that is like there to discover with each playthrough still happens, but also like the stuff that you do multiple times and never has the kind of tedium that a lot of, a lot of games of that scale can have. Yeah. You know, I think, um, breath of the wild is, is fascinating in they, you know, they sort of designed it in a way that I think encourages exploration. Like the entire, everything in the game is geared towards encouraging exploration and like sort of self-directed play. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, which is just makes it like such a sublime experience because then they created this beautiful world that you want to explore and, and like laid out the red carpet for you. Uh, yeah. And so it's just, it's fun. Even when you know places revisiting them and there's like the comfort of like having the knowledge of like, Oh, I just, I know I need to get this and that before I go try this challenge or whatever. Yeah. It feels like, a you know, settling into an old chair that's like perfectly formed to your body or something, you know, it, it's, it feels good. No, it's beautifully put. There is a rhythm to it, and it's it's comfortable, and it's mm -hmm. very rarely the kind of game that can stress you out too, too much, or if it does, it's the kind of thing where you can walk away from the stress. Yes. It's yes. definitely not the kind of thing that blocks you from progressing. It, you could, I had a person I was talking to recently saying, like, I, I, I need to get through this uh, stealth section uh, at the, like that, that part where you have to go to. Is it the... Uh, the Yiga clan? Yeah, the Yiga clan. 
Yeah. And it's like, you don't have to do that. And they were yeah. actually like legitimately blown away by the fact that they could walk away, <laughs> yeah. go do something else and not have to worry about, you know, getting to the end point of that. And it's like, yeah, no, that's the beauty of the game. You can just fuck off and do something else. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you can just do something else and, and come back later when you're a little more leveled up and a little more comfortable with the mechanics. And it's, yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's incredible. So you say that those are some games you're looking forward to. Any Anything else that is uh, besides those two games that you're either looking forward to or maybe a game that you just want to exist? <laughs> <laughs> well, so I will say um, another game that I've revisited recently that I really love is uh, Greece. Have you ever played Greece? Greece? Like uh, Gris? Gris? I don't know how it's... I think, it's I think the, I've heard of Gris, like G-R-I-S. Yes, yes. I don't it's think like I've the played French it. word for gray, I believe. Yeah, I've seen this. I haven't played it, but I've seen it. Yeah, it's you know, it's a short game. It's it's more like you, you play it for a few days. The music and the visuals are gorgeous. It's got a lot of emotional weight to it. I would love to see another game like this that where there was like this much attention to every little bit. You know, like it's mm-hmm. clearly like a labor of love. the The mechanics are are pretty simple. Reminds me. Did you ever play Journey on PlayStation? Yes. Yeah, it, it reminds me a lot of Journey. Oh, and it was just visually very beautiful. The music is like I, I listen to the music. I have it on my phone uh, when when I'm feeling like I want to chill out a little. Uh, the story I found legitimately moving. It's um, you know it's not a compl- complex story or anything like that. Not like Horizon, which we'll talk about. But it's still like the game is sort of about uh, or not sort of. It's definitely about grief and sort of accepting loss and mourning you know and i i played it like after my dog died uh and was like bawling my eyes out at the end you know it's just very uh i don't know an emotionally cathartic game i i found uh, i don't know it was very lovely and uh so yeah anything from that studio i think it's nomada studio i'm not sure yeah. that yeah i know devolver published it yes yeah and they publish a lot of like wonderful little games that can get a chance to be made. It's like them and Annapurna that are carrying like the smaller uh, indie scene of video games on their back, which I really appreciate yeah. because like you said, Journey is a terrific game. Right. Um, other smaller games that really emotionally gets me I'm thinking of right now are blanking on. But I feel um, like Celeste is kind of like that. Well, Celeste is wonderful. Um, yeah. Hyperlight Drifter is a different yeah. kind of like sad, but also very much in that kind of fold. Love, love a good sad indie game. So I'm definitely going to have to check that one out. Awesome. Yeah. See, we're already getting recommendations before we even talk about the, uh, the show proper. <laughs> you're a gamer and you're also notable, a notable expert of law. Uh, you yes. sort of walk between two extremely different worlds. So okay. that's my lead into this like extremely serious question for you. Do you know Kirby? Kirby, the, uh, the, like the little pink Kirby. Kirby. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I know, I know of Kirby for sure. I played as Kirby when, when I played Smash. <laughs> oh, but you never, you never met him. No, never met. I never met. Or you, the guy is named after or modeled after, right? The, the yeah, lawyer. that's what I was getting at there. Yes. Like, a yes. Character name, a video game character named after a lawyer who. John Kirby, I think. Yeah. yeah. Recently uh, no. died a couple of years ago. Rest in peace. Yeah. A hero to gaming because he saved Nintendo from having to pay immense royalties to Universal Pictures over uh, copyright infringement for Donkey Kong. Uh, right. so they alleged that it was King Kong and Kirby d- developed the legal argument, saving the company and giving us Kirby. So that's one good thing a lawyer did. 
Yes, maybe the only good thing a lawyer did. <laughs> I think he was also a civil rights lawyer, which is also yes. significant and important, but also he yes. saved gaming. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Tremendous, tremendous work. Um, <laughs> law and video games, I don't imagine you would want to ever engage with a field like that in, a, in an interactive medium. <laughs> no, all the, you know, all the 5-4 fans say that they want me to play uh, Ace Attorney. Mm-hmm. I just can't imagine enjoying an attorney Everybody says, no, it's great. It's really great. You'll love it. But I'm just like, I just seem so miserable to do law stuff in a video game. Like, it's like the last thing I want to do is, is like, you know, I want to go kill orcs or, uh, you know. What would you say is like the genre of game that you like? Because uh, Phoenix Wright is very much just a lot of like, you're watching some stuff happen and then occasionally you interact with it. Okay. Yeah. No, I, um, I generally like the games I gravitate towards are sort of big open world games uh, these mm-hmm. days. I like exploring. I like exploration, and, and I do. I, I like uh, good combat too. Uh, good combat mechanics. You know that's not required. Obviously, like I wouldn't say Breath of the Wild has good combat mechanics, but <laughs> but it's interesting combat. Yeah, it is. But it's yeah, it's engaging combat. Yeah. So it, it, yeah, Phoenix Wright doesn't seem necessarily up my alley, but I'm sure I will have to Twitch stream that at some point in the next 12 months. <laughs> yeah, you you like open world games. You like ones that have like good combat. Did you ever play uh, the the Shadow of Mordor game? I did. I did. I I love uh, Shadow of Mordor and even Shadow of War, the the maybe less popular sequel. The ending is a little bit of a drag, mm. but. Uh, Man, is it fun just lopping off the heads of Urukai yeah. <laughs> and just becoming a total badass, you know, sniping 15 of them with your, your bow in slow motion. Uh, yeah, that, that game is a blast. I, I love it. Even if it does total violence to uh, the lore, the Lord of the Rings lore. Yeah, that's what I was getting. At. Like, it's tremendous combat. The Nemesis system right. is like one of the best uh, mechanics yes. in modern video games ever. And it's Incredible. a shame that that company just holds the uh the trademark on it or whatever or right. the patent on the the idea so like no other company can replicate it because it's just like that would open it open up open world games so much oh it is so fun with the the way the bad guys advance and they all have their own personality it's just it's fantastic yeah it's fantastic yeah. Like that's, that's wonderful stuff. And like, to the point of it being like, you know, character assassination of a, uh, you know, Tolkien lore, like doing the, the dark edgy kind of take to it. It's like, it is messy, but it is yeah. something I almost admire just because like it came out like five years after the grim dark thing ended with yeah. like the PlayStation three, Xbox 360 era. We were past it. And it just like goes out guns blazing anyway, saying, Hey, Shalab has titties now. What are you going to yeah. do? <laughs> gonna say, do you want a fucking giant spider? I bet you do. <laughs> yeah. You got you got to admire just like how dedicated it was to the to the craft at least. Absolutely, I just loved uh, just how many times I could whack a person with a sword before uh, a combo ended. It was uh, a <laughs> yeah. almost like a, the same like feeling I get playing like the Arkham games where you're just like landing a fifty hit combo on a single guy. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, and then it ends with like your dagger coming out and you're just like just totally dismembering someone and it's fantastic that game rocks absolutely this is something we'll probably come back to later on because of the game you pick being an open world game but there is like that feeling that a lot of people have burnout with uh open world games and i think Mm -hmm. at the end of the day it's you know yeah there are there is a saturation of them but i do think that the frustration of it it is just like the craft or the the level of like care that's put into these products isn't as uh 
you know, hasn't hasn't been as well done as it used to be. Specifically, like Ubisoft cranking them out every year with the Assassin's Creed. Or um, yeah, I tried playing Assassin's Creed for the first time this past year, the Valhalla, and mm-hmm. I was just couldn't get into it. It felt a little rote. It felt a little, you know. And another game that I've played all the way through, and I thought it was kind of mid. Uh, not really an open world game, but also just you just reminded me of this was the the Fallen Order, the Jedi Fallen Order game. Yeah. Something about that like mechanic where you're just like grinding to a checkpoint and then you die and then you start back at that checkpoint, you just grind to the next checkpoint, right? And you just you feel like you're like doing the same thing over and over and over, even if you're on a new world or uh, new enemies, it just starts to feel very routine in a way that's like kind of not engaging. I feel like that that's also sort of broadly speaking a problem with some open world games where it's just like, yeah, you just go unlock a tower. Right. You go and then you Far get a whole, yeah. right. Right. And you get a bunch of tasks and then you go do those. Right. And it's just like, just like bump, 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 bump. And uh, it can be very just like a boring way to experience uh, what should be a cool and fun like exploration. Right. Yeah. No, like I played Far Cry 4 about five, six years ago now and yeah. I enjoyed it well enough. It wasn't mind blowing. It wasn't. It wasn't like terrible. You can ride an elephant into a, a base and just kill a bunch of people. You can drive <laughs> a machete through a person's body. So right. it can only be but so bad. But it is also a game I'll never play again. And it's just sitting on my shelf. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. It's just like, I just don't want to do that again. I'm not, I'll never play Fallen Order again. Yeah. There, there's just a lot of stuff that like that where you're just like, and it's a shame. It's a shame because, you know, a lot of people put in a lot of time and effort into making those games. I mean, I like Fallen Order. I understand totally the frustration that a lot of people have with it because it is a game, like you said, it's not really open world. It's more of a a, a riff on the 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 3D Metroid, uh, yeah, the, the Dark Souls kind of the formula mm-hmm. where it's like you, like you said, you reach a checkpoint in uh, the Dark Souls games, and then like you die, and you have to go back to that checkpoint until you progress until you get to the next uh, bonfire or what have you. Right. And I love those those, those Miyazaki Soulsborne uh, games, but when other people try and replicate them, they don't get fully uh what makes those games good on a design level and what makes those games rewarding to get through because this, like the, the things i like about fallen order do come to the fact that it is trying to challenge you more than a lot of mainstream games do yes but for the sure implementation of a lot of those challenges don't work and the game also just has a lot of like bugs that they never really fixed and that makes <laughs> a lot of like the dying feel unfair right so it's it's what I call uh, uh, like what a good seven out of ten game is. It's not mind blowing, but there's a lot there to enjoy. <laughs> I think that's right. I think that's right. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm on board with that. Yeah, an open world game that did nothing to change my perception of you know what a video game can do, but was still a great time anyway. Uh, was Ghost of Tsushima? Have you played that one yet? I have. Uh, I that game is a lot of fun. Yeah, I like that game a lot, actually. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was thinking about, I was actually thinking about that just recently. I played it when it first came out, um, like obsessively uh, for for a while. But but just, just recently, I don't even know why, but I was just like imagining, um, I, I was sort of laughing at the absurdity of video game stories a little bit. I think it's because of The Last of Us and all this talk about The Last of Us, uh, you know, being this great story and because they're adapting it to a TV show or have adapted it. And I was just like imagining these as like real stories and imagining being like, you're the the last hope for Japan to send back these 
invaders and you die chasing a little fox up a <laughs> up like a you know some bluff to prey <laughs> or something for <laughs> I forget what this pr- pr- precise mechanic is this is like mechanic of the game where you have to yeah, make a haiku <laughs> yeah exactly it was just like like if you like take these games like seriously as stories they get they can get very silly which is um i think one of the reasons why i like horizon uh, a lot i mean it has its moments like that too but i right. just found the story incredible you know no i enjoy the story of horizon quite a bit and it does have a like like ghost of tsushima also does like there's a level of polish and care that goes into it because they're treating it like a big blockbuster game should feel like instead right. of the kind of just like cookie cutter we have to have one of these out every year thing like a watchdogs or a far cry or an assassin's creed right and that that's like says the difference between like a game that isn't trying to innovate and just iterate some on a system really well versus just right. a game that insists upon itself i guess right i think that's that's a good way of putting it I have to think about these things a lot because video <laughs> games are expensive and I have to determine why I want to spend, you know, X amount of money on one open world game and not another one and explain that to a person who doesn't care about video games as much as to why it matters. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. It's good to be thoughtful about these things. Yeah. So we talked about tremendous open world games, mediocre ones. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the one that you picked today, uh, the 2017 video game Horizon Zero Dawn. Horizon Zero Dawn was developed by Dutch game developer Guerrilla Games and published by Sony Interactive Entertainment. Prior to this, Guerrilla Games were known for developing the Killzone series, which, like Horizon Zero Dawn, were PlayStation exclusives. Uh, did you ever play any of the Killzone games? I didn't. Me either. But yeah. I had—I feel like I had to mention it because that was a game of a specific era, especially specifically the PlayStation 3, which mm-hmm. you know a lot of people played at the time, and then just they never. They never did another one of those again. Uh, same thing with the, the Resistance games that Insomniac developed at the time. Insomniac oh, right. is still active developing games like uh, another great open world game, uh, the Spider-Man game that yeah. came out on PS4. Tremendous game. I love Insomniac games. I've never played a Resistance game in my life, and I don't plan to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah me, me neither. Me neither. It's a, ga- it's a series that has just been completely memory hold. <laughs> yeah. No more dunking on video games. Let's go back and... <laughs> <laughs> Horizon was developed by uh, Matthias Deyuan. Uh, he mm-hmm. directed three of the Killzone games prior to this. The music was developed by Joris Deman, uh, Niels van der Liest, and Jonathan Williams, and The Flight. The game's story was written by John Gonzalez and Ben McCaw. Horizon Zero Dawn was released in North America on February 28, 2017. Other notable video games released in 2017 include Cuphead, Gravity Rush 2, Nier Automata, Night in the Woods, Persona 5, the 2017 Prey game, PUBG, Resident Evil 7 Biohazard, Super Mario Odyssey, and Zelda Breath of the Wild, which was released three days after this game. <laughs> Before we go into Horizon Zero Dawn properly, uh, obviously there was no shortage of great video games in 2017. Have you played any of these besides Breath of the Wild, obviously? Super Mario Odyssey, um, definitely. Uh, uh, there was another one you mentioned that... Um... Cuphead? 
Cuphead. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I love Cuphead. Uh, Cuphead is the rare game that um, I have not beaten. Well, I wouldn't say it's rare that, to find a game I haven't beaten. Rare game that I've played and not beaten. You know, right. I usually get sort of obsessive and I'm like, I need to finish this. But man, that game is hard. <laughs> no, is, it is. It's really tough. <laughs> Very few games that I love as much as that game that I haven't technically beaten. Yeah. Because uh, I was actually playing that one multiplayer when I was in college. Uh, a friend of mine finally got a PlayStation for himself. So we had two controllers <laughs> to uh, play the PC version on. <laughs> nice. And we we managed to get all the way to the second to last boss. Like we we got to, uh, I think it's King Dice. And then, but that's like a gauntlet of bosses that you have to fight right. on the way to the devil and I never beat the devil. We didn't even get to the devil because the King Dice boss fight just like kept slumping us and stumping us. <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard, man. There's um I mean, I yeah, I didn't even have somebody to to back me up. I was just playing by myself and uh I didn't even get to King Dice. That game is tough, but I love it. I love the the look, the feel, mm-hmm. the play style, and I love the challenge of it. Just not just not dedicated or good enough uh, one way or another. No shortage of great video games in 2017, but Horizon Zero Dawn was one of the great games of that year. Talking about the gameplay a little bit, Horizon Zero Dawn is an open-world action RPG set in the 31st century after a cataclysmic event nearly wiped out humanity a millennia ago. The remnants of humanity live in scattered tribes where they coexist with biomass-consuming machines resembling large mammals that are often hunted for their valuable parts. Your character is free to roam around to hunt and defend herself from massive machines scattered around what was once Colorado, Wyoming, and Utah, using primitive weapons made with advanced tech such as bows and arrows, a tripcaster used to set elemental tripwires, spears, explosives, and so on. Uh, You can take these creatures on by fighting them head-on, you can be stealthy, you can use traps, or you can even hack them. In addition to running and riding machines, you can also use parkour and zip lines to traverse the various regions, which include the forest, the jungle, the desert, and the mountains. As for the plot, there is a lot of lore as well as some complex twists and turns. We'll probably touch on the very specific beats later on in the episode, but just to give a very broad strokes explanation of what happens, Horizon Zero Dawn is centered around Aloy, a redhead outcast from her tribe, the Nora, from birth and raised in exile by by a man named Rost. As a child, she acquires an augmented reality device called a Focus, old world tech that gives her an increased sense of perception in the world around her. Wanting to know about where she came from and why she's in exile, she trains her entire childhood in preparation for a competition called The Proving that would give her the right to be a member of the tribe. She wins the competition, but the tribe is attacked by cultists known as the Eclipse, losing her father figure Ross in the process. Leveraging her right and fair victory in the proving, Aloy demands answers from the matriarchs as to why she was banished and discovers it was because she was found under suspicious circumstances as an infant in front of a sealed door within the Norris most sacred mountain. The matriarchs name Aloy a seeker, which allows her to travel across the lands, interact with other tribes, and discover more about the cultists that killed Rost, while uncovering the mystery of where these massive machines came from and how it may tie to her mysterious origins. So, a lot of, ha- a lot of stuff happens in the game. Yes. <laughs> a lot of a lot of twists and turns based around uh, her being a seeker and the matriarch just saying, fuck off, go go deal with that. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's a very interesting story and a lot more compelling than a lot of cookie cutter uh, open world games typically go for. But what made you ultimately settle on Horizon Zero Dawn? So, you know, it's interesting because um, we've talked a fair bit about Breath of the Wild and I think like a contrast between them is is pretty instructive in that like Breath of the Wild's me- mechanics encourage like physical exploration 
And I don't think Horizon does that as much, right? There are a lot of areas like mountains that you can't climb and places you can't go until you've unlocked a certain part of the story and things like that. And like if you have a, a, a mission equipped, it'll put a little yellow dot in the middle of the screen and tell you where to go, which is the opposite of encouraging exploration, right? It's encouraging yeah. you to follow the little yellow dot. But I think it creates this beautiful, like, mystery within mystery right like the the mystery of Aloy's origin the mystery of her exile from the tribe and the mystery of the world like how humankind came to ruin where these machines came from that is enticing and that makes you want to explore and learn more right learn more about the world le learn more about the history that's like embedded in every little crack and cranny and nook and cranny and in every little corner of the world has little bits of lore um, and side quests, you know, teach you a little bit about the world. And I just found it engaging in a way a game had never engaged me before. A different type of exploration, right? Uh, more like archaeological uh, exploration. It's just like a game had never engaged me like that and it never made me think like that. Um, and uh, I thought that was really special. No, that's a very fair point. A lot of games that do the whole like, well, there's a big open world. And if you don't want to do the critical path of the missions, uh, you can go find these collectibles. A lot of them don't have the kind of like archaeological value to the point that you said. Uh, right. There's a lot of lore you can discover by engaging in the side missions and finding things in the world. You can read a bunch of stuff, which is a lot uh, more. Mo it's a lot more motivating for people who do want to engage on this game on a more intimate level than just doing the main missions. Which is why it's a bit better than just uh, chasing a fox or solving a haiku. Uh, not right. To <laughs> not to do diss Ghost of Tsushima, but these are right. a lot more uh, motivating things, and I think that's something that uh, Horizon does well. To your point. Yeah, yeah. I think it uh, it just makes the world feel lived in and textured and full and real in a different way, right? Like, yeah, you know, Breath of the Wild feels that way because you can literally explore like every inch of it, right? There's nowhere that's off limits, and that makes it feel uh, real. And this this is its history makes it feel real. And that's, that's, I don't know. I think that I just thought that was really cool. And, and it was very thoughtful, right? Like yeah. it wasn't just like, Oh, we'll just stick some shit here. Uh, a journal to read. Like there was a lot, a lot of time and energy put into thinking about how this world would exist, what it would look like and like what the ruins would look like and what would remain and what those traces and remnants uh, would be like. And uh, there's a, a, a wonderful, funny little bit. I don't know if you ever played. Did you play the DLC on Horizon or no? The the Frozen Wilds DLC? Yeah, the Frozen Wilds. I, I didn't get around to it. I always said like, oh, I'll go back to this, but I need a break from this game. And then like yeah. Hades came out and it's like, well. <laughs> well yeah, there you go. There's, there's a character in there who's... Um, I mean, it, it's more of a joke. It's not like a, it, it's more of like a bit, but it's, you know, he comes across this visitor center at a national park where they are uh, creating holograms of extinct species, right? And so this is an, again, this is a remnant of the past. So this is something from, you know, our time or in the future where the black bear has gone ex extinct and, and whatnot. And, uh, and so again, these side quests are like, you have to find these little figurines, uh, that you can use to trigger 
uh, these holograms um, and turn on this visitor center where they tell you, you know, uh, Ursus Americanus, the American black bear, blah, blah, blah. And at the end, it says, brought to you by Montana Recreations. And this guy who finds this is like the bit is that he like he just gets everything wrong, right? Like he he thinks black bears look friendly and he thinks, you know, like omnivores are maybe uh, just vegetarians and things like that. And one of the things he gets wrong is that he thinks Montana Recreations is a person whose first <laughs> name is Montana and whose last name is Recreations. And he wants to honor Montana recreations and hopes to one day be worthy of the last name recreations himself. And, <laughs> and, and, but there's just like this, like playing with the idea of like history and how we encounter thousand year old technology that nonetheless is far more advanced than ever, anything they've ever, you know, encountered in, in their day-to-day -day life. Uh, I don't know. It, it's just a very uh, cool and thoughtful game. I think overall in, in, in that sense. No, it is. And I really wish I'd played the DLC just to get to that kind of um, uh, <laughs> bit because that's a gag that I really love when it does show up in apocalyptic fiction. Uh, obviously, yeah. the uh, Last of Us games are a bit too dour to have too, too many jokes like that. But uh, Adventure Time is also a far flung, uh, you know, future uh, story. And it has sort of bits and gags like that when they find old world tech or uh, the Fallout games will do stuff yes. like that a lot. So, yes, yes. It speaks to me. Yeah, I, that that just like uh, I thought it was a very well done version of that bit. But but yeah, the, I think the Fallout is a is a good example of another game where like they seem to care a lot about the history. I only played that like at my brother's house, um, and, and I played a few hours of it, but not like anything crazy. But yeah, this was the this was the first game where I'd ever like encountered like a, a world built on top of another world, both of which are like sort of fully realized in, in a way, which yeah. I thought was pretty cool. No, I mean, it is also like a very interesting compare and contrast point with the game that came out the same week, uh, Zelda Breath of the Wild, because both right. are very much, uh, you know, post-apocalyptic stories with ruminations on ancient history and preserving stories, finding stories, making interpretations based off that, uh, those stories. And they have a completely different approaches to it, which I think is awesome because uh, Breath of the Wild is about like what you bring to those things that you discover. But right. uh, Horizon Zero Dawn is a lot about honoring past and stories that have been told and archived and have like complete character histories and uh, events described. And that's just another great way of approaching and uh, appreciating history. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. And it gave, um, you know, the... Uh, it gives the the narrative a lot more weight for me. And so like there was something more satisfying in specific to the closure of the narrative uh, where like it wasn't even uh, so in horizon, there's sort of two bad guys, right? There's um, Hades uh, who, which is a big machine program that's trying to burn down the world. And then there is um, that shithead human who is it's sort of puppet who kills your, your father figure, uh, I forget his name. Right, but, the, uh, the Eclipse. Right, the leader of the Eclipse, right? Yeah. The, there's that big, big dude um, whose name eludes me right now. Man, I like, I, I have replayed the end of uh, Horizon Zero Dawn so many times just for the satisfaction of fucking killing that guy. That guy is such a piece of shit. <laughs> and it feels so good. It he feels was 
Healus. Yeah, I wanted to say Solus. So I was like, it's not Solus. What is it? Healus. Healus, yes. yeah. Healus. When they attacked the Proving, a man came for me. Tall, strong, dead eyes. Healus. And who is he? The Terror of the Sun. Stacker of corpses, we Osram called him when he was the Mad Sun King's champion. If only he'd died with his king. But now he leads the Eclipse. I tell you, he's the most dangerous man alive. Man, you 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 fucking impale him on your spear. Yeah. And then you get to choose like your message to him. Um and like every every fucking time I choose like the the most aggressive one where you when he tried to kill you, he tells you to turn and look to the sun and you sort of tell him, like spit it in his face, like turn and look into the sun and think of that, you loser. <laughs> it, is so, it is so satisfying, man. It's like there's a there's an emotional catharsis with that that is uh, just, I found phenomenal. Chosen. Hades only chose you because you're a fool. A sadistic butcher too stupid to see you were being used. Your whole life was a failure, and soon, no one will even remember you. Turn your face to the sun and think about that! You know, I get why uh, Horizon takes some criticism for, like, like we talked about, uh, not being truly open world and the little dot, you know, um, sort of leading you around by the nose at times. and. Maybe the story being a little too linear, but I don't know. That stuff just it just tickled some part of me that uh, that uh, I didn't even know was was in there. It was exciting to have a game like whenever a game like inspires emotion in me, I'm I'm pleased more than just like this is fun, right? You know, like, right? That's that's uh, that that feels special. So it is, yeah, and that's why I'm excited to talk about more about your personal connection to this game. But before we do, I do want to sort of fixate a bit more on that uh the nature of preserving stories and history by going into a segment i do every episode called no country for old games Video game preservation means a great deal to me. One of the goals of this podcast is to bring attention to the issue of making older games readily available for those who wish to play them. Games like Horizon mean a great deal to people, including you, including myself. And I believe that games should be archived and preserved for all of time like any other piece of media should. We are going to talk a little bit about this game, uh, how you can play it, uh, how other people can play it, and the, the various forms that it takes. Uh, but before I do that, I do want to ask you, uh, Michael, when you play this game, how do you do it? So I have always been a console gamer. Um, and uh, so I, you know, I played it on the PS4 and uh, uh, when I first played it. And now I, I've replayed it on the PS5 recently in advance of uh, its sequel coming out, Forbidden West. And uh, yeah, so I've always been sort of a get in my cozy chair in the living room in, in front of the TV and uh, play a video game. I don't know. That's just like, I, I guess it's just sort of obviously how you play games when, when it was an Atari or whatever. And so, you know, now that uh, 
Elon Musk oh. owns Twitter. I'm mm -hmm. like trying to think of a different and better way to stay engaged uh, with uh, the podcast audience. And I have been wondering about maybe I should be Twitch streaming more. And that's a, that's a different uh, way to stay connected and would be a chance for me to play games and chat with people. And, uh, but that just seems really hard with a console rather than a, <laughs> rather than a computer. I don't know. I've been watching yeah. Twitch streamers and they all play on their computers in front of their desk. And that seems so much easier than, you know, setting up a webcam in my living room or I don't, <laughs> I don't even know how that would work. So, yeah. Yeah. Though it, a lot more, uh, cables and things you have to worry about setting uh, a console up to be played on a, on a, on a stream, especially if you want to do it well and also have your camera on it. But, uh, with PC, you can just download OBS and yeah. share your screen, and that more or less does everything you need to do. Yeah, that's that's a big barrier for keeping me from Twitch streaming. Is just like the the technological barrier, and also I'm ashamed of how much I the way I play video games, and I'm afraid someone would yell at me if they saw how I. How I, do <laughs> I, things. I, don't, I don't think there's any wrong way to play video games, man. I don't know, but I am very much the kind of person that. Uh, we'll comb a room for every single thing. And that's, you know, oh, how yeah. a lot of people do, but you know, it, it is not considerate of the pacing of somebody who actually is engaged with the story. If I'm like, well, the developers went out of their way. Somebody lost a whole day putting this corner of the room in here. So there better be something over here. And then I break all the jars in the corner of the room. It's like, Nope, nothing. All right. Let's keep going. <laughs> <Not> <laughs> all right. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Yeah. You have to play different. If you have an audience too, yeah, that's, I didn't, I didn't even consider that, but that makes sense. Yeah. I'd probably play something that you can only go left or right in for their sake. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm assuming you haven't played the PC port of this game then. No, I have not. So just to talk a little bit about this game's availability for the audience, this was a game released in 2017 on a PlayStation 4. Uh, an enhanced version was released later on for the PlayStation Pro, and that version carries on into the PlayStation 5. So this game is not only available to buy now on the currently active PlayStation 4 system, but on the relatively new PlayStation 5. It's backwards compatible there. And now you can play it on PC. And that is huge for a lot of reasons. It's a rare move from Sony to make that kind of software available on technology that isn't theirs, porting games like Horizon Zero Dawn on the PC and the Spider-Man games in uh, Days Gone. And it's, you know, console partisans tend to throw a fit because they believe that th that makes this game or their consoles less valuable or less competitive. But I think the appeal of console gaming is less so that it requires the, the software that's on it because, you know, besides the you know first party games that are being developed for it, these things are becoming less and less distinct with each generation. It's more that these consoles serve the purpose of, you know, this is a less expensive gamer PC that you can reliably use for uh, six or so years. You, you need to be less tech savvy uh, to use up console versus a pc uh, it costs less and it's just like it's an it's an option for the people who don't want to commit to the the hardcore gamerness that is being a pc jesus christ um, <laughs> but no if most if not all future xbox exclusives are going to be released on a pc because uh that's been the move by uh xbox lately if you don't own uh, an xbox you can still have game pass and still have all the access to those uh xbox games on your computer which i have game pass it's clearly working on me it, it makes sense that Sony is doing this to remain competitive. And it's a tremendous step forward in terms of game preservation too, because now there's more than one place you can play what was once a console exclusive game. Yeah, that's great. I don't, um, 
I mean, I get why console makers would want to have console exclusive games. It draws people to the to their hardware, but uh, I don't understand like partisans who are like this makes my purchase of the PlayStation feel less special or something. It's you, you get to play the game, you know. <laughs> like that's 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 what's special is you got you get to play this great game. Um, not that you're the only people who get to play the game, you know. And I'm, I'm still bummed that I can't play Halo on PlayStation. You know, that, yeah. <laughs> like that sucks. I don't want to buy an Xbox in addition to a PlayStation and uh, and uh, a Switch. That's too much. So I, I'm I'm with you on that. I think the the more this stuff is available, the better. Yeah, and to your point, as soon as I got a PC that was able to run uh, modern games relatively decently, like it doesn't do like the most you know AAA stuff, but it can run Halo Infinite, and that was the first game I downloaded onto the con <laughs> on the computer because yeah. I can do that now. It's like yeah, I'll, I'll I'll do that. I don't care about console partisanship that much. Yeah, yeah, like you said, why would you be upset that more people than before can play a game? I saw uh, a few months ago a video of somebody playing Spider-Man on PC and they modded the game so it's Kermit the Frog instead of fucking Spider-Man. That is awesome. <laughs> I saw that. It looked incredible. It looked so good. I was like, I want to play that. That looks what? so it looks so fun. Spider I haven't played the new one, but the the original the the first one was so much fun. Uh but there's something so goofy and joyous about watching Kermit the Frog beat the shit out of like six little faceless thugs. You know, it's fantastic. Yeah. No, the Miles Morales game was really good. It's obviously a much shorter thing. It's, you know, what would be considered an expansion pack uh, in okay. the days of old. But yeah. it is uh, a worthwhile experience just for the sense of like, oh, that's the same map from before. But uh, mm -hmm. now you have a different power set and a different way of engaging with these mechanics so it's worth it on that level if you can find it on sale absolutely play miles morales awesome yeah no this is one of the rare games that has actually become more readily available in the years since its release not only can you still buy physical copies and download the game but it's playable on playstation 5 it's on the pc and that's why i'm going to give horizon zero dawn a rare a and i usually rate games in a segment from a scale of a to arg Arg being, uh, you know, oh no, it's so hard to down to find this game. Uh, arg, it's not an yeah. application for piracy whatsoever. That's that's illegal. You're you're a lawyer. That checks out, right? <laughs> right, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, here's hoping it can maintain that A for years to come because this is a wonderful game. This game is quite good. More people should be able to play it. As of February of 2022, this game has sold more than 20 million copies, making it one of the best-selling games released for the PlayStation 4. The PS4 version of this game currently holds an 89 on Metacritic, but we're not here to reduce the legacy of Horizon Zero Dawn to a series of numbers and stats. We're here to talk about the impact this game had on someone who played it, and that's why you're here, Michael. So let's get into it. One thing I really liked about this game, I, you know, there's a lot of talk these days about AI and um, the both the threat and promise of AI and chatbots and chess engines and uh, you know self-driving cars that don't really drive themselves um, or do drive themselves directly at children, uh, as the case may be. Um, yeah. <laughs> And uh, one thing that I really liked about uh, this game was that, uh, you know, spoiler warning, um, you learn that 
you know, the fall of humanity happened in, in somewhat of like a Terminator style, you know, rise of the machines apocalypse, but not because machines became self-aware and not because the chatbot, you know, could reflect and decided humans were a threat or anything like that. It was like dumb machines, right? It was like yeah. stupid machines that were just programmed to treat biomass as fuel and programmed to replicate and people got lost control of them. And so they just consumed fuel and replicated and that's all they did. And, uh, you know, if you read what, how people talk about AI, uh, they say, you know, like all these threats, all these like imagined threats are, are far flung and you shouldn't worry. It's not like, you know, the Will Smith, iRobot movie or whatever, where a machine is going to start thinking for itself. That's not what happens. They just get really good at playing chess or whatever their task is. Mm -hmm. and, and I thought this was like a cool engagement with that where it's like, yeah, these aren't self-aware devious machines. They're just really good at converting biomass into fuel and really good at self-replicating. And and that's a problem, right? Because because that means everything is fuel, and all they want to do is just consume and replicate. And it, it feels like there's maybe a a metaphor there <laughs> as well mm -hmm. uh, uh, about consumerism and um, our political economy. Um, but I just I was uh, I was just really impressed with like the level of thoughtfulness that that went into. Um, you know, this story. And I, I don't know, I, I just found it to be really uh, poignant and timely. Um, and like a good warning that uh, dumb machines <laughs> can be very dangerous as well. No, I, I agree with you there. Like the argument being made that like, oh, I mean, like AI and some whatever such tech that we're using isn't going to be that much of a problem because, you know, it, it is that the use is so simple. And, you know, as you say, and put beautifully as to what this game's about, it's not that the tech is dumb. It's that humans are also dumb and they can <laughs> yes. use tech extremely irresponsibly in yes. the pursuit of greed. And yes. if it gets even remotely out of their control, we have dumb machines that can't stop themselves. <laughs> exactly. And it, it feels like even uh, more timely now, like the villain in this game, there, there are two uh contemporary villains right like we said there's hades which is this program that's trying to destroy the world and there's helis who is hades pawn but like the real villain in in the story is the guy who you know wrought this whole apocalypse in the first place right the one who brought this upon humanity and that guy was a dumbass who is yeah. also a powerful tech CEO and the richest man in the world and a total idiot. And it just feels like, it feels like one of those things where you're like, damn, they, they fucking nailed it. <laughs> you know, it, it, it feels very timely five, five, six years later. Like they, you know, they definitely uh, got our uh, tech overlords pegged that these guys mm -hmm. are morons um, and uh, are reckless yeah, I don't know. It's, no, it's, it's just, almost surprising this game takes place in like Colorado and Wyoming and not fucking Austin, Texas, where like it's a yes. tax haven for Silicon Valley goons yes. who just want to like exactly. plug away at their computers and destroy our world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
Yeah, no, and that's the other thing. Like you see in the news every single day, or like the news being Twitter feed, but still, but mm-hmm. like uh, you know, everybody engaging with uh, primitive AI tech in like a goofy way, like uh, that open AI thing that was uh, yeah, trying to chat. create art from prompts that random people were giving it, and then like oh, a couple yeah. months later, people are like, "Hey, here is like this new art stealing bot that I made that makes shitty art and twenty fingered monstrosities that uh, <laughs> do not res- that look like the barbarian monster." And I'm like, "Oh, yeah, no, that's what that that's what open AI was." huh and now yeah. i see people t- falling for the trap yet again because uh it's been uh on my twitter feed today and yesterday people just like talking to uh history uh adolf hitler know. and yeah all that that does history chatbot or whatever yeah history yeah. chatbots where you talk to historical figures and ask them questions and everybody's posting their goofy screenshots like oh my god this guy said gay rights or like oh my god this one said a factually incorrect statement isn't that so funny and it's like yeah ai is gonna like be able to like adapt to have like the voice of your grandma and like make you you know, do some heinous things because of that in a few <laughs> years now. Because yeah. you, you decided you wanted to like talk to Osama bin Laden about Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I'm not going to like implicate every single person that plays with an AI bot. I'm just saying like, I, you know, every month or so uh, we see the Boston dynamic videos. Oh God. That's another thing that feels very timely and very uh, mm-hmm. tied to this specific video game. Just like the Boston dynamic dogs. And then like you check in on them a few months later and like, Oh, they're learning and they're adapting. Yeah. There was like a video of like an army guy just beating uh, one of those like running autonomous robots with a chair and it's like that thing has a gun in its head it's going to turn around and shoot you in a couple months man (laughs) yeah 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 i watched a video of that uh of that thing uh uh, they're they're like a humanoid one like doing flips and in an obstacle course and shit just this morning actually Mm -hmm. was making the rounds on twitter and it's just like like why why are we doing this? Why are we? Why are we just stumbling face forward, eyes wide open into this obvious hole? Like, what? What are we doing here? Mark my words that within the next five years, that AI and Boston Dynamics thing is going to, uh, you know, combine in some fashion to create something truly horrifying. Or like, uh, there's going to be some sort of mass robot shooting at General Dynamics while it's just like. Sp- Bouts out fake facts about Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Did you know that Adolf Hitler was a huge fan of Hatsude Miku as it like chokes a person to death? <laughs> yeah, a robot dog that can uh, call the police if it sees drugs and will tell you that uh, that that Hitler uh, wasn't racist. It's uh, yeah. that's the. <laughs> While I pin you down and wait for the police to arrive. <laughs> Little known fact. (laughs) Let me read you uh, one of uh, an excerpt from War and Peace. It was the best of times. It was the blurst of times. (laughs) (laughs) I don't need a a dog with the voice of my grandma tackling me. Okay. No, no. But yeah, no, that's what this game's about. Just scary tech uh, and stupid tech and the stupid people that make the stupid tech that the military will almost certainly exploit. Yeah. And, you know, it also like offers an interesting um, solution to the problem of out of control technology, uh, which is like uh, not a solution at all. Again, this is a spoiler. If you haven't played the game and are interested in, in it, broad spoiler warning, yeah, broad spoiler warning, but like the solution they come up with the name where the, where the name of the game comes from zero dawn. The idea is basically that like, 
you know, they ran the, they ran the numbers, they ran the math that they, they can't kill the machines fast enough and that the machines are going to wipe out life on earth. And that day they call zero day. So the plan is to just to do what's next. Like after there's no more biomass, the machines will go into hibernation and uh, then they want the seeds of life and, uh, you know, a sort of benevolent AI, terraforming AI to, uh, you know, repopulate uh, the earth after it's managed to crack the codes and shut down these killer machines and whatnot. And so Zero Dawn, the project Zero Dawn is the product of building this AI and building this reservoir of, you know, seeds and genetics and uh, forges and things to make terraforming equipment um, so that after life on earth ends, it can have a new dawn. Um, and it's, uh, I don't know, an interesting idea. Also somewhat fatalistic. Uh, again, if you think of all this stuff as, if you think of all this stuff as like metaphorical, uh, saying that there's really no way out of our current... <laughs> <laughs> trajectory <laughs> um but uh yeah i thought it, i thought it was cool this is the it really feels like this is the this was the first story in a video game where everyone was like they could you could write a book in this world you could set a show in this world uh it would be an expensive show because of the machine special effects but um i don't know this was the first time where i've actually been been like man, like there's like some real literary chops underneath this. Um, very, uh, I thought impressive stuff. No. Yeah, for sure. I mean like the, the fatalistic ending, uh, or the, the solution. <laughs> yeah. Just saying like, look, what, what do we want our legacy to be ultimately? Do we just like, e even if it's doomed for us, can we guarantee a better future for somebody or something? Right. And that hits a very existential place because it's like sometimes you know, the, the bleaker ending is like they, they accept the apocalypse and they don't leave anything for anybody. The fuck you got mine because or, you know, right. fuck you. I didn't get anything. So neither do you. But right. the idea that like people who fuck up are willing to make something right for somebody soon, it is also hopeful. I Oh, I agree. I yeah. agree. No, it's great. But it is just very bleak in the sense of like, we have to reap what we sow. And yes, and it's not an unfair thing. And you know, even if the game is very much about like we are cleaning up the messes of what has been left behind, uh, at least they have the ability to do that. It's not the full on Skynet ending for everything where you have to go back in time to unfuck or to fuck uh, the, 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 right. you know, the mistakes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Yes. Well, well put. Yeah, it is uh, very future oriented and ultimately optimistic. I don't want to sound... Uh, like it's a pessimistic game because I don't think it is. Yeah, I worry, and you know, I haven't played uh, for Forbidden West yet. That it does mm -hmm. almost have to make itself a little bit bleak uh, to sustain itself the same way that they have to keep making Terminator sequels that you know show that like, right. oh well, the last time it didn't work, and as beautiful yeah. of an ending as Terminator Two is, like now we we want Terminator Three, so we have a story to tell. I mean, right? I don't know. Yeah, no, Forbidden West is good. Um, I think they avoid that trap. I think just there is inevitable letdown in storytelling just because like you've already sort of revealed a lot of the big secrets of the world, right? That 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 sort of discovery, that journey of discovery was, I think, part of the special 
uh, feeling of playing Zero Dawn the first time. That being said, uh, I, I do think they deal with that problem in, in, a, in an interesting way um, that does feel timely. I think the mechanics are better, like the combat mechanics are, are better. The uh, Zero Dawn has great, I thought, ranged combat. Um, yes, I, really, I 100% agree. I enjoyed the bow and the, and the slingshot and taking down machines. The combat with people... Uh, humans and using your spear and like melee very basic and felt tacked on almost uh yeah. that is not the case with forbidden west it's a pretty intricate uh melee combat system which i thought was a big improvement um i'm still not very good at it to be frank i beat the game and i'm still like they're just like only like scratching the surface of possibilities with it uh so i think the gameplay mechanics are better but the story is is worse so, you know, make of that what you will. Sure. I, I appreciate your insight into that. But let's talk a bit more about uh, uh, Zero Dawn and, you know, talk to the virtues of it. What do you like about this game that you wish more games would do? Yeah, you know, I think, um, so we've talked a lot about the story and the history, obviously. Um, but uh, I, I do think also the combat mechanics, I thought, were just, like I said, were wonderful. And I really liked this sort of synergy there, right? in that part of what makes the world enticing this mystery is like where did these giant machines come from these machine animals and what is their purpose sort of the highlight of the mechanics being fighting these machines taking them on and finding each individual machine's weakness and different ways to take down different machines and, and things like that it just felt cool um like uh, a cool synergy where uh, there was a lot of care Put into it i really enjoyed mastering each machine until i could take down like even the hardest machines because i had leveled up my weapons or i had figured out their weak spots and figured out strategies for each one and you know you take a different approach and uh, i don't know it was a, a a cool level of like problem solving and, and fighting mechanics on top of a cool story yeah no i i agree with you there like broadly this game's cut from the same cloth as other open world games like the aforementioned Far Cry and Assassin's Creed. But <laughs> this game stands above those for me personally because it has a varied setting and interesting weapons and enemies and combat encounters. And that's the kind of thing that these kinds of games are going to have to live and die by to differentiate themselves. So it's tremendous that uh, Horizon is able to create a compelling combat system, at least a ranged combat system, right. <laughs> uh, that makes you have to think tactically about... Uh, the different types of enemies you encounter and like the scale of these enemies is just so so big and there's a few uh combat encounters when you get to around a desert region that kind of just like mess me up for a little bit and then the satisfaction <laughs> yeah. of taking down these like big bird yes. enemies or anything yes. like that just the storm bird and the thunder jaw they're massive they're right the size of a fucking skyscraper or whatever machines and when you and then when you take them down the satisfaction is yeah it feels awesome it's not like one for one a shadow of the colossus but it is very much like a game that took the lessons of like what made shadow of the colossus so compelling to play and interact with on a gameplay level mm -hmm. and put them into a game uh that is just a lot more straightforward in terms of combat and i think that's really cool yeah no i i love this game's uh the, the weapons in the game that you can use or like taking a weapon off of a machine and picking it up and using it as a yes. minigun for a moment yeah yes. 
Yes, that that is like there. Yeah, there are two two of the hardest machines. I thought that what became my go-to strategy was like yeah, taking a disc launcher off a Thunderjaw or a machine gun off of a Ravager and just leveling them with it, and it's extremely satisfying. It, it also encourages you. That's a different type of uh, experimentation, right? Where like there were ammo types and weapon types that I was ignoring. I was like, who gives a shit about like tear damage? I don't care. But then it's like, oh, I want to remove these weapons without destroying them so I can use them. And so I want to use high tear damage, you know, weapons. And it, it just, it encourages experimentation with uh, all sorts of different types of gameplay by making the machine so big and powerful and varied in how you have to take them down. And it's so satisfying when a game, uh, combat system isn't just a series of glorified, uh, you know, QTEs or just, you know, pressing the buttons at the right time. It's actually about like right. aiming for something or laying down the traps and, yeah, you know, to making use of the environment around you instead of just hitting the right buttons at the right time. So yeah, getting a prompt that says a dodge or whatever, and you press a and then you're you're good, right? That's like, yeah, I don't know if I'm getting carpal tunnel or something, but it is becoming extremely hard for me to keep like playing games where I have to press square or X repeatedly to get through something. Yeah, no, I feel you on that. I don't like I'm I'm actually opening up accessibility menus, which I'm glad grateful that so many games have now. And I think all games should incorporate them for all audiences, not just people with disabilities. But like, yeah, I, I find myself where it's like, look, uh, this thing will toggle off QTEs for you. And it's like, OK, why did you put them in there? <laughs> what, <laughs> let me just watch it happen. If I if it's boring to watch it happen, don't put it in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Good on Horizon for not having too many uh, things like that. Going back to some things that I like really like about Horizon Zero Dawn, um, the voice performances in this game received a lot of praise at the time. Uh, Ashley Birch won a Golden Joystick Award for her performance as Aloy in this game. But I also want to give a special shout out to Lance Reddick, the voice of Silence, because I yes. love him and it's a great voice performance. Yeah, he was great. And uh, his voice is so distinctive, too. When I when I, when you first hear him, you don't see him. And I was like, holy shit. Like, mm -hmm. is that who I think it is? And then when you finally do see him, it's just like, yes, it's, it's he he kills it. Yeah, the the two of them in their dynamic is is fantastic. Do you really have no idea how monumental are the discoveries you just made, Aloy? I expected more of you. So, you have a face. Got a name to go with it. Of all the questions you could ask right now, that's the one you choose. I've spent decades searching the ruins of the Old Ones, trying to solve the mystery of what happened to them. For years, I've suspected that feral robots destroyed their civilization, but I could never confirm it. And in minutes, you uncover more ancient knowledge than I have in a lifetime, and what you want to know is my name. Silence. That's my name. Now, why don't you try asking another question? Something less trivial. No, it's a, such a necessary dynamic, too, and it, it makes both characters way more significant seeing them bounce off each other, and I think that's something that the game does really, really well. It's in service of something that creates something greater than the sum of its parts, I think is what I'm getting at. Reddick is just such a fucking pro, and when he does get to do his thing in, in a video game space and you let him cook, it's like, Damn, I could listen to you talk all day. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, we've complained about some games and praised some others. <laughs> let's, uh, yeah. 
let's uh, go into the limitations of this game. And, you know, no game is perfect as mm-hmm. much as we want them to be. Uh, what is something you wish this game did better? Like, like we said, the uh, melee fight mechanics were pretty poor. Yes. Um, <laughs> I think it's been much talked about. Uh, this isn't any like groundbreaking observation, but the climbing mechanics are are poor um you know they make this huge beautiful world but um you can only climb at specific points they're often very hard to see and so they're you're just like you know several times you find yourself just standing in front of a sheer cliff face jumping up and down moving slowly along its base until you find like the the grip uh so that you can go up like the path Mm-hmm. And uh, and the, the, a little too much leading you around the nose. I would have appreciated like a little less handholding in terms of finding your way through the world when you're doing missions. The little dot in the middle of the screen telling you which way to go. I, I don't think that's always the worst thing, like you said, especially for accessibility reasons. But uh, I wish it, it was like a little toned down at the very least. Oh yeah, I, I I agree with all the criticism that you have about the game, um, and it was an unfortunate thing that it came out in the same uh, week as Breath of the Wild. For those it's hard reasons, not to compare the two. Yeah. It's hard not to compare the two because like the thing that almost every triple A game does that I hate, and I like the Uncharted games. Don't get me wrong, but mm-hmm. I hate climbing in video games so much now, and I'm yeah. burnt out on it, and I'm tired. I played the uh, 2018 God of War for the first time a few weeks ago, and I liked the game, but. Every time I had to climb a fucking wall, I was just like, all right, great. You're hiding a loading screen from me. Awesome. All great. right. Yes. <laughs> I would rather just like watch a loading screen, honestly, yes. uh, than have to climb in a fucking video game again. And like Horizon isn't the worst defender of it. At least it like leaves markings on the uh, yeah. walls and convenient spots that so tells you what is climbable and what isn't climbable. But and this is bringing it back to the uh, the Breath of the Wild thing. In Breath of the Wild, if there was something in front of you, you could just climb it. Right. <laughs> the limits as to what you could climb are like, is it wet? No? All right, here I go. <laughs> yes, exactly. And do you have this stamina, right? Is it so tall that you literally will run out of energy and fall? That's yeah. it. That's it. You know, that those were your only limits. And uh, yeah, having playing those two back to back. Like, I appreciate that you know, for whatever reason, they were limited and they couldn't make every single inch explorable and that's fine. But the if visually, their their visual markers were not always obvious, right? Yes. Like a lot of times they were like, they used like yellow, uh, like yellow metal, yellow handholds, yellow this or that. Uh, but the yellow didn't always pop, right? Against a beige rock wall or when it's like sunset and everything is sort of yeah, when you're in like the desert area, especially. Right. It, it's just like everything. You're like, I can't see shit. Like, I, I can't tell. <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Maybe that was by design. And they were like, you know, climbing should be hard. It should be hard to find a handhold and whatever. That that was like pretty much the only time I think I was like frustrated with the game was when I was having trouble climbing and getting to spots where I was like, I can see where I want to go. I want to get there and I just can't, I can't get there. And it's very frustrating, you know? Yeah. yeah. Like to, and talking about the uh, melee thing. Yeah. Melee is useless in this game. There's almost no yeah. reason to ever do it in an encounter. And if you do do it, it's just like, it doesn't feel like any of your hits are landing. And it, yeah, it's, it's almost defeating to hit something and it not really have a reaction to you. You said earlier that like melee combat in a uh, red dead sucks. And I see your point there, but 
and this is the way I play it, like a madman. Um, <laughs> at least in Red Dead 2, like when you hit somebody with your fist or with a knife or uh, my favorite thing, like a hatchet, you can feel the thing die in front of you. You can see yes. the life leave its body yes. and like it collapses on the ground and you feel the weight of the hit in your hand. And it's yes. just like, damn, like it took forever for that hit to connect. But God damn it, if it didn't connect. <laughs> yeah. And then in this game, it's like whack, 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 whack. And it's like I could I could see like the the one HP <laughs> like thing right. appear over the character's head at this point. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I agree with you on, on, on Red Dead like that. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't find the mechanics like engaging, but it did at least feel like you were actually like interacting with the environment right which where the, whereas the melee doesn't always feel like that in this game yeah they i mean i will say the the melee is improved in forbidden west it is still wild to me though that they whiffed so hard in horizon on it especially because like you know in the dlc you can get these bows that have a power shot if you like hold if you draw them back long enough yeah. and like the nuance in like the haptics of the controller and the screen, the way the, you know, your little aim thing changes, you can kind of feel the bow going like taut. You know what I mean? Like you can feel it like you're like, okay, the power shot is engaged. And it's like, there's like so much nuance in it. And then the the melee stuff is just like the polar opposite. It's just like clunk, 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 you know? Yeah. A while to me that's like the same developers. No, I agree. Like all those combat challenges you have to do are so built around like you getting like so used to the the ranged combat and its opportunities and melee combat is exactly the same as it is from the first hour of the game <laughs> right yeah yeah no like the like literally like you can get i think within the first 20 minutes or whatever of playing like the game proper depending on how you spend your little experience points you can get like a little you know sneak strike that will be the most useful melee move you have period for the entirety of the game Right. Yeah. Like that's that's the sneak strike is like that's it. That's the that's the thing, and and maybe the critical strike. Right. That's it. Two little things, and you can get them pretty early, and then nothing really evolves after that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, those are relatively few flaws in a in a game yes. this massive. Like I said, it is just like a good refinement of an established formula, and I yes. wish a lot more games would just like learn to really hone in on the the opportunities of like a big world and just put as much big stuff in there as possible big birds yes. and giant alligators like those alligators are just so kind of scary and also <laughs> just are. really fun to fight they are they are and it's like yeah and especially because it's like when you like find like different things weaknesses and then and then it's like something that was just wrecking you now you can like just totally destroy yeah there's something so so satisfying about that too something like big and powerful and and scary and dangerous you can just take it apart yeah no it's just great because like it kind of like instantly climbs over the big issue plaguing games that are more than 20 hours long which is like keeping the combat from getting repetitive and making every combat encounter the same by just having these variety of enemies that you have to take down and like not specific but like in a in an engaging way that you can't just like mindlessly point a gun reticle at and then press right. fire right it's not just like oh i need more bullets or whatever i need my my bow to deal more damage it's like yeah that stuff helps but it's it's far more like tactical and strategic and uh yeah yeah that's that's a great way of putting it 
on a personal level, uh, mm-hmm. how do you think this game impacted you? I think it, it it played a role in like sort of reigniting my my love of gaming. Like I I, I got back into gaming because of uh, like Breath of the Wild, and I wanted to play Breath of the Wild, and I was like, this was great. But then I was like, what's next? I don't know. And uh, somebody recommended this to me. I think uh, Liz Drinkwater on Twitter. Yeah. That's why, that's why I played it too. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, and I loved it and I was like, yeah, you know, I don't have to just play the next iteration of a game I loved as a kid. Like I can explore all these other games that are like, you know, new games that I have value that there's, there's, there's a lot of stuff out there. And so that sort of got me interested in you know trying red dead and the last of us and uh, you know all, all sorts of cool things that people are doing now uh, whereas i was just basically you know previously hadn't played much video games at all other than like a few zelda games in years you know so. yeah no i mean like it's great this is also a new ip relative to so many other video games and right. one that is right out the gate at blockbuster level you don't have to wait you know 15 20 years for it to be like this big scale thing like it was something that was supported instantly and yeah. that's really cool yeah yeah uh, yeah i think that's right so uh it was cool it, it definitely like kind of lit a fire in me i mean that it and breath of the wild the two of them together i think uh really sort of breath of the wild got me thinking like Oh, uh, you know, I should I should see what else is out there. And then this this game sort of convinced me that it, it was worthwhile. I, I think if I had played a dud mm-hmm. after Breath of the Wild, I might have been like, meh, whatever. Yeah. And that that, that would have been the end of it. So you made a good choice. If you have to like play an open <laughs> world game where you have to like climb something to unlock more of the map, at least you're climbing like a long necked uh almost dinosaur looking creature instead of just like another watchtower (laughs) yes yes i genuinely i genuinely enjoyed getting the uh the tall necks in a way that like climbing a a basic bitch tower just doesn't doesn't feel the same i don't know yeah no it's 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 wonderful and um do you think this game has influenced your your taste in games or media in general uh yeah i think so you know, it, it also helped me like I, I've always been into sci-fi and stuff, but it did like get me interested in reading science fiction again. Um, I was like, yeah, there are cool stories out there and there are a lot of great stories that, uh, you know, it's just kind of a reminder. I think this was also also appeared when I was like right after I had left big law. And so I had all this time and I was like, what should I do with my time? And so this helped helped me like sort of remember what I enjoyed, remembered like ideas and themes and genres um, that engaged me, you know, things that I'd forgotten because I'd been just doing nothing but law shit for Mm -hmm. five, six, seven years, you know? And and so this was, it was great. It it was a good uh, reminder that, yeah, not only do I enjoy video games, but I enjoy like good narrative storytelling and I enjoy science fiction um, and, uh, yeah, so it, it definitely like sort of reignited a love in in me. That's a great answer, and I'm you know happy to hear that this game specifically brought you back into a fold that you thought that you had bowed out of, and yeah, you know reignited a love of a a hobby in a transitional moment in your life. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Calling back to uh, the fact that you you know abandoned Big Law, 
Uh, <laughs> what do you think the uh, legal basis is for the uh, matriarchs to uh, abandon a baby because it had fucked up vibes? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know that I would agree with the matriarchs' call there, um, but uh, they do seem to live in somewhat of a theocracy, and so I, uh, I really think they're they're just sort of making it up as they go, right? And mm-hmm. uh, that strikes me as as probably a pretty accurate depiction of what a lot of proto societies were like. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't agree with the matriarchs on that one. Right. No, uh, <laughs> they didn't want, they didn't want custody of their weirdo, this weirdo baby that came the from weirdo baby. Yeah. Yeah. It does call back to a time of, a uh, you know, the, the type of, I grew up in a religious environment. So it's just kind of like, damn, this kind of hits in a, a weird place where it's like, you try to, people aren't welcoming and nurturing and anything that's yeah. weird scares them. But in like a, not in like a, I mean, in a way I'm sure it was setting out to do, I'm not saying it was like a groundbreaking and how it approached it, but just like, damn, if, if that isn't how it is though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. There's also, there's like a side quest um, where, you know, this priest in the, one of these other tribes um, asks you for help uh, dealing with like a, you know, they're sort of trying to atone for slaving and torturing and conquering and things like that. And all these people who have had been their victims are now trying to reconcile themselves as well. And one of the things you have to do is that there's an old priest who like won't let some slaves, you know, spouse go see the slaves work, right? The slave was like a, a sculptor and he go tell this racist, you know, prick, who's like standing on his religion to like eat shit <laughs> and mm-hmm. it, it's very satisfying there's no combat there's no like you just go there and you just go through like a dialogue tree but you get to tell him he's a fucking loser and uh you know and a small-minded bigot and chase him off and it i don't know there's i i thought that was like a fun little thing that that i that i enjoyed uh, a different way of of I- I- accomplishing tasks right I mean, like, that's the thing, like this game does the power fantasy stuff very well in a way yes. where it's like, I understand, not understand, I don't empathize with this point at all, but like this game uh, and this franchise in general just gets so much like shit just because Aloy is not designed with the male gaze in mind the way that like Laura Croft was originally right. like that kind of like, it's not a like strong heroine that isn't also a sex object. What the fuck is this kind of shit? Right. And the game does lean heavily into like the very much like. I'm a strong woman, but it's not, it's not like the kind of like liberal girl boss fantasy that like no. it, it, it positions uh, itself to be like, at least not in the most reductive way possible. Like the way that you are able to interact with this uh, regressive society or the various regressive societies that you go into that are weird for different reasons. It's just like the way that you can like mess with these places on an interactive level that make them really fun. Like that whole like arc that you have at the Hunter's Lodge, like everybody yes. is just like, old and hostile and shitty to you and you're just like fuck you i'm about to go fight a giant monster and have a great time doing it yeah. just to spite you <laughs> and just it's like, to spite you yeah it, it, it is a lot more effective than just watching those kinds of events play out on a television screen or in a movie theater just because like you get to like share that experience with this character that feels prejudiced against and yeah. uh, is able to prove some assholes wrong it's 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 empowering for me as a player to help empower this character perform these tasks yeah and it feels very um organic you know um her 
demeanor uh because like we said you know she's raised as an outcast like she was nobody talked to her other than her father figure for like her pretty much her entire life like one or two people and that's pretty much it and so of course she's like suspicious of authority and rolls her eyes at tradition as its own justification and you know like it fits right it it, yes it's not just uh, like a ham-fisted attempt at, uh, you know, it's not pandering um, sure. to the audience. It's it's a fully realized character who makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Now you raise a great point. All of the aspects of Aloy's like confrontational and uh, rebellious personality are informed by circumstances that happen to her. It's not just like subversion for subversion's sake or like right. – uh, uh, anger for anger's sake like it is all rooted in a very real emotional place for her right which which again gives the the story a lot more uh, weight and, and a lot more catharsis at the end when you you know you get to save the city save the world and stick it to the assholes uh, very satisfying for sure talked about horizon forbidden west you talked about your experience with that a little bit mm-hmm. in terms of future media for uh, horizon in 2022 it was announced that horizon will be adapted into a television series on netflix steve blackman the showrunner for umbrella academy is slated to be the showrunner for it what are your thoughts on that oh that's interesting blackman is an interesting choice i i, I enjoyed umbrella academy I, i've watched it I never read the comics, but uh, the show I, I found fun. Tonally, it feels a little different than Horizon, and uh, and so I'm not familiar with the with that guy's work, and and I hope he's not going to uh, make it too quippy. And he uh, wrote a few episodes of the uh, Fargo TV show too. He was a producer on that, so he he's there's some different tones and styles that he's worked okay, with. Okay, great. Yeah, I was gonna say that's like uh, that's critically acclaimed obviously and uh so yeah uh, love okay, that second good. season so much <laughs> yeah. yeah um i think the yeah but in terms of handling like you know a show that that requires a decent amount of effects and, and things like that he's probably a good choice um and i found like the umbrella academy in general to be just like engaging uh well-paced story um so uh, yeah, I'm, I would say I'm cautiously uh, optimistic about that. Um, budget is going to matter a lot with this. Um, Absolutely, because you know, like like we've said, I think the machines are such an integral part of this. They make the world. That's part of what makes the world so enticing, right? Are are mm-hmm. these like machines? The mystery of them, where they come from, and how to kill them, um, and uh, getting that right feels like it's going to be expensive but uh, netflix just seems to raise money from venture capital and burn it like nobody's business so maybe it's the perfect studio for for this we'll see for sure um i've, I've certainly been burnt by netflix adaptations before but i'm <laughs> yes i'm open i'm open to the idea of being hurt some more yes i think for me like you you, you make the great point about how this is really going to come down to budget and 
you know, to that point, I also say visual design is also a big part mm -hmm. of that because something we never really went into in our discussion about Horizon is that it is a very, very pretty game. Yes. Uh, not just like good character design or good uh, machine design, but just like the visuals are often breathtaking and really mm -hmm. well realized. It's built off of, uh, you know, Colorado, Utah, and Wyoming, which are some of the most beautiful places that you can visit uh, in terms of natural landscapes in the United States at the very least. And I think that the the people who develop this game and the people in charge of the visual design do a really good job making these uh, vistas look gorgeous and huge. And, you know, scaling that with the, the, the machines is incredible. And I don't want that work to be undone because like they decided like, oh, we can green screen a bunch of these backgrounds or, oh, this monster doesn't really blend in with the environment very well because that, that that's like something that video games just do really well. Right. Or, or we need to light this really flat and like color grade it really flat, like a Marvel movie so that we can put in a bunch of effects, you know, which yeah. would be like really disappointing. Cause then it's like, even if you film on like location in uh, some beautiful place, if the lighting and the color grading suck, it's going to look flat and boring. Um, like Kenobi. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. I, I hope that's something that doesn't get lost uh, because it could be really special as a TV show. It's such a cool story and such a cool world that they created. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. If it were up to me, I would suggest that it be animated. Like, yeah, it, yeah. I'm not. I'm not saying it has to look exactly like this, but I think of how cool Samurai Jack is as a show and how like dynamically animated that show was. And that would be like, okay. I don't know. An animation would just be a really good fit for uh, Horizon Zero Dawn. But if it has to be live action. Sure, more power to them. I just think it's so weird that they do so much mocap and the actors and actresses for that world do resemble in some ways their uh, performers. Like Lance Reddick is almost a dead ringer for silence. Right. But uh, we have no idea what the uh, casting of that is going to be. And I, that's the other thing. I don't want anybody else besides Lance Reddick to play that character. I was about to say, like, he has to be silence. Like, nobody else can be silence. Yes. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're inherent. Like, anything would be a downgrade. And hey, he's worked as Wes he played Wesker in Resident Evil and like if he can spare some time for that I'm sure he can like appear in something that he has already done in a role yes. that he's already done really really well I'm pretty cynical about like adaptations from one medium to another in general but I am willing to have my mind changed I haven't seen the last of us uh, pilot yet that came out this past yeah. week I've seen a lot of people say it's really good I've seen some people just like be kind of mad on it but I'm, I'm open to it I like I like Pedro Pascal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's a great actor. Uh, they're both good actors, uh, the, both the leads. Is it Bella Ramsey? Is that her name? Yeah, Bella Ramsey. Uh, Pedro Pascal is yeah. uh, a Joel, which is already great casting uh, on the surface there. So I, I feel like those two could probably carry a show and at least make it watchable, um, unless the, the writing is just truly awful. They both have a ton of charisma. And uh, yeah, I'll give it a try. You know, I, I mean, I, I fucking I watched the. <laughs> The, the Alicia Vikander Tomb Raider movie because I like that actress. I was like, sure, oh, yeah. why not? <laughs> Goggins, Walton Goggins is in that, isn't he? Yeah, yes, yes, yes. I mean, like he makes everything watchable. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll formulate my own opinion on it, and then if it's good, I'll, I'll, I'll give it its dues in a future episode. If I don't care for it, I'll complain. But I, <laughs> I, I try. I'm not going to be cynical for the sake of being cynical when I do approach my opinion for it. I just, yeah. I, I've I've made my fame on the internet complaining about 
adaptations before uh, with my Cowboy Bebop video. And I guess now this is just like my thing. <laughs> Based off your enjoyment of Horizon Zero Dawn, what would you recommend, whether it's a book, a show, movie, game, artist, or otherwise, to people who consider themselves fans of Horizon Zero Dawn? So a few things we've touched on. Uh, if you haven't played Breath of the Wild or Shadow of Mordor, um, I think they both capture some of the magic of this in, in different ways, right? Like the combat in Shadow of Mordor is so much fun and the world in Breath of the Wild is, is so inviting and, and fun to play in and explore. Books, uh, I might recommend Octavia Butler's A Parable of the Sower. Oh, which, good, good one. Which is like a, a post-apocalyptic, um, you know, sci-fi story. I thought was great uh, and is an easy read. She's a, you know, she's, her prose is just like so uh, inviting and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the story is very engaging. I think those would be my, my recommendations. I can't think of a TV show or anything off the top of my head, but two sure. games in a book, I feel like that's, that's pretty solid. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, and if I'll give my recommendations and if you think of anything else uh, in that sure. time, please feel free to shout them out whenever. You, you mentioned Breath of the Wild, and that's a terrific suggestion for anybody who mm -hmm. hasn't played that game. And I remember when I did uh, A Link to the Past with uh, TH, I suggested um, Ghibli films, specifically uh, uh, Naushka of the Valley of the Wind. And then uh, when I did Breath of the Wild, I specifically shouted out Castle in the Sky, uh, that mm -hmm. Miyazaki film. Uh, for this game, I would highly recommend uh, Princess Mononoke, which yes. is yeah, the Studio Ghibli film about a warrior woman fighting for nature against humanity's careless development. Uh, there's lots of great spear and bow and arrow action. So very much in tune with what uh, Horizon has going on. And it's far and away Miyazaki's most violent movie. Uh, yes. So. It's a PG-13 I think the only Ghibli movie that was PG-13, but... Uh, I think so, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, like, sequences in Howl's Moving Castle that are, like, very violent, but I don't think it goes for the PG-13 kind of violence at this case, right. where, like, limbs are falling off and people are having, yeah. like, getting gored by spears and arrows and things like yeah. that. The Ashitaka, the main guy, the, at one point he just fucking take somebody's head off with an arrow just like straight up just domes them with an arrow and his head comes right off <laughs> like <laughs> if you haven't seen a uh, mononoke you've at least seen the 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 gif of uh that character catching an arrow and then shooting it right back at somebody and yes just, <laughs> yes yes <laughs> which is fucking awesome yeah so yeah princess mononoke easily uh i would recommend that um, I'm also, like I've mentioned several times in this episode, I'm a Lance Reddick fan and I love him in this game. And this isn't like a one for one, like, oh, this is exactly like Horizon Zero Dawn, but I thought it necessary to just recommend some of, you know, Lance Reddick's work. Uh, obviously right. the John Wick movies are the ones that people point to, especially yeah. as he gets more and more involved in the sequels. But I wanted to shout out two really overlooked movies just in general. The first one being, uh, the guest, uh, which is like this synthy, uh, slasher thriller film uh, that's just like it's almost it, like it's riffing on a lot of like 80s movies but it feels so modern in its approach to like the slasher and uh, the slasher genre and Lance Reddick plays a really good supporting role in that it's uh, Dan Stevens as uh, the titular guest and he is 
playing a remarkable sociopath in that. So if very cool, yeah, if you can check, track that movie down, watch that. And then, uh, on an even smaller, uh, overlook scale, there's this movie called a uh, faults by this filmmaker that I really love who has been popping up for movies, uh, popping off, I should say for movies like, uh, the art of self-defense that people saw in, uh, 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was a movie, uh, the filmmaker being Riley Steerns. He made this movie in 2014 called, uh, faults and it's like a psychological thriller and also a dark comedy uh it's a leland orser uh mary elizabeth winsed and uh lance reddick playing a kind of person that's like a a debt collector basically uh terrorizing a leland orser while he is trying to deprogram a woman played by mary elizabeth winstead who is part of a cult so interesting it is a really really fun uh movie that's like more or less most of it takes place in a hotel room every once in a while like uh lance reddick will show up and be like hey um pay the piper buddy and then like intimidates him it's just a good film if you haven't seen faults excellent i'll check it out yeah this is like two suggestions built into one but we mentioned the terminator franchise um Mm -hmm. as like a very good analog to the story obviously like the ai in horizon zero dawn is uh, equally as primitive in its own way uh, to the world that it now occupies. But mm-hmm. uh, Terminator is a lot more about like an openly malicious AI that is smart and trying to wipe out humanity in the most uh, efficient way possible. And it incorporates time travel and this, that, and the other. Um, so uh, those are good movies to watch if you do like Horizon Zero Dawn because it is, you know, humans versus AI and machines. Mm-hmm. But and, you know, James Cameron is one of the most amazing directors ever, you know, but absolutely to that end, great suggestion building off of Horizon Zero Dawn, but I'm more interested in suggesting, uh, Avatar, the way of water. Yes. I'm one of those now people I've been uh, Avatar pilled. Yeah. <laughs> I, I am Pandora pilled. <laughs> um, I want to be part of Pandora now because, uh, <laughs> seeing that movie in a 3d imax screen uh, the world's tallest imax screen in a uh, polar georgia actually wow um so it was a breathtaking visual experience and i am calling specifically uh, out that visual experience because a big part of horizon zero dawn is that it's set in this uh beautiful world that is mm-hmm. being ravaged by machines and human technology uh, that is trying to consume the biomass of the world around it, not unlike the struggle that the people of Pandora, the Navi, are having with the colonizing humans who are trying to destroy this beautiful environment for their own means. And specifically in Avatar 2, it is chasing down this uh, giant whale species and using the uh, the brain juice it has to uh, it, you know, gain eternal life. Oh, interesting. See, I didn't know that. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it is it is human technology versus the the uh native Navi in incredible action sequences and some of the most beautiful scenery ever. And it just blows my mind that all of the the vistas and worlds of Pandora are completely fake and generated on the same green screen technology that apparently Disney has available to them, but just don't want to put the uh, the resources into making themselves. So I'm glad that <laughs> yeah. at least visionary director James Cameron is making fake worlds look beautiful and taking the uh, art of spectacle into account in his filmmaking. And look, Horizon Zero Dawn does spectacle very well. This movie does spectacle very well. And that is my uh, ultimate recommendation. I think that's a good pitch. Yeah. Avatar The Way of Water, uh, 
the Lance Reddick films, uh, The Guest and Faults, and Princess Mononoke. Any other recommendations for you before we uh, do the outro here? Uh, no, uh, I, I will just heartily second the Princess Mononoke uh, immediately after you started talking, even before you said Studio Ghibli. I was like, oh, Mononoke, I should have mentioned that. I'll <laughs> so yeah, uh, just a very strong uh, second on that. Hell yeah. Michael, seriously, thank you so much for coming on to my show to talk about a game that is so close to you. Before we end this episode, please promote the hell out of yourself and where fi- tell us where people can find you. So I am, um, you can find me uh, on Twitter. Uh, my handle is not, it's, it's at underscore Fleer Ultra, which uh, if you collected baseball cards in the 90s, might be recognizable to you. <laughs> um, <laughs> and my podcast is called uh, Five to Four. Um, we have a website, 54pod.com, all spelled out, um, where you can find all our episodes. They're available pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. You know, if you are interested in politics or the law at all, uh, maybe give it a listen. Um, see what you think. All right. So that is at underscore Fleer Ultra on Twitter. That is the five to four pod or is it five, four or five to four? Because I sort of pronounce both ways on your show. I I honestly don't remember, which is I think it's five to four is what we settled on. But it was there was debate and I don't remember what the answer is. And I just zone out when Peter introduces the, the podcast. So <laughs> <laughs> we'll say both. Five yeah. four or five to four. Uh, either yeah. way, you'll you'll know the podcast if you type in the numbers five four and podcast next to each other. Yes. So you'll you'll find it. It's a you'll it's find a, it. It's a terrific, popular podcast, and you know you should be very proud of the work that you do for it. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on to the show, and thank you so much for listening to this episode of Select and Start. Once again, I am your host, editor, and promoter, Kiefer. If you enjoyed this episode, please give the show a positive review wherever you're listening to this. Engagement helps the show, and your feedback will improve it. And if you want to get more engaged, give the show a follow on Twitter at SelectPodStart. If you have thoughts about Horizon Zero Dawn or any other games we've discussed, send a DM or leave a comment and I will gladly read it on the show. You can also support me on Patreon at patreon.com slash Corner. If you pledge at least $1 a month, you will get early access to new episodes as well as extended episodes with exclusive content. You can also follow me at Danny Vegito and find links to the rest of my projects in the description of this episode. The art for the show was made by my best friend, Avery Ott. You can follow him on social media with the handle at Avery Robin Ott. That's A-V-R-Y Robin O-T-T. You can check out the links in the description for his work as well as Michael's. All right. I think that's it. Being smart will count for nothing if you don't make the world better. I wish I would evolve, Burton. I wish I would evolve, Burton. <clears throat>